Book of Numbers, chapter 22. On Sunday nights, through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And this is where we find ourselves this evening. The children of Israel are now camped on the east side of the Jordan River. They've been right opposite of Jericho, where they're going to, uh, in just five months' time or so, going to enter into the Promised Land and begin its conquest as God has promised it. Uh, to them, and they have enjoyed a series of victories over their enemies as they've been uh, attacked without any provocation by one after another, and God's grace is upon them in defeating their enemies. And they uh, have been watched by all of the other nations that have watched their uh, success militarily. And there is a man by the name of Balak who is at that time the king of Moab and uh, he thinks that the children of Israel are now going to attack uh, them next and his assessment of it is we have no chance of withstanding this two to three million people that are camped out there and uh, whatever these people are about we're just like a blade of gla grass in front of uh, a hungry oxen they'll just eat us up and so feeling that they needed some kind of a advantage in order to defeat the children of Israel he sends for a prophet by the name of Balaam he, in order to, that Balaam would come pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel and then that the Moabites would be able to defeat the children of Israel in battle. So they're basically wanting to destroy uh, the children of Israel at this uh, point in time and drive them, not only not have them go into the land, but even drive them from this staging area that they're in. And so Balak sends his messengers. They come to Balaam uh, some distance away. They bring a diviner's fee. I don't know what they paid diviner. Uh, in those days probably pay, uh, brought a fee that was worthy of quite a bit of money. We see right there at the end of verse 6 that Balaam's confession concerning, or Balak's confession concerning Balaam, for I know that whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. And so he had a, a, quite a track record. And so they, he sends messengers with a diviner's fee now to hire Balaam to come back and curse uh, Israel. And so the children, uh, verse 7 of chapter 22, this is where we left off last week. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. And so the princes of Moab uh, stayed with Balaam. And so Balaam gets this offer. He doesn't know what to do with it. And so he extends Middle Eastern hospitality to them to spend the night. Give me an opportunity to seek the face of the Lord uh, related to this. And then God came to Balaam and said, uh, Who are these men with you? <laughs> you know, he doesn't like the company that Balaam's keeping at the moment. And uh, so who are these guys? And, and it's not like God doesn't know who they are. He's trying to drive a, home, a point home to Balaam. And so Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to overthrow them and drive them out. Lord, this is the proposition that he's given to me. And so the Lord 
then answers uh, Balaam. Balaam seeking the Lord for an answer on what he's supposed to do. And the Lord uh, God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. So there's clarity. You shall not curse the people. So he says no twice, and he gives them the reason. For they are blessed. And so God speaks to Balaam and says twice, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to have any part in, in any of this. You're not to go for the purpose of, of cursing these people because it will be completely fruitless anyway. These people are blessed. They cannot be cursed. And so Balaam rose in the morning, said to the messengers, the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Wait a minute. That's about as weak a refusal in the face of temptation that you could ever offer. In essence, he's kind of saying, you know, I'd like to go with you, but God won't let me go. That is not the way to handle a temptation to do wrong. And it certainly isn't the way to handle a temptation that the devil brings against us. So he intimates that he is very interested in the offer. I'm very interested in this, but God is holding me back. I'd love to, but God won't let me go. Additionally, he does not tell these messengers the full revelation of what he knows. And what he knows is, you can't curse these people. You are trying to hire me to do something that I will have no success in being able to do. So he doesn't, if he had come on and said, listen, don't you realize you guys are not just up against these people that are camped out there. You're up against their God. And their God has said, you can't curse them. You can hire me all you want. You can bring me out there. What you're trying to hire me to do will not be effective. That's called slamming the door. On temptation. Shut the door, keep out the devil. <laughs> the old song says, You can't close that door and leave it cracked like he's doing right here. You gotta slam that door closed. And basically, what he's saying, and Balak will interpret it accurately, is listen, I'd love to do it, God won't let me. Maybe if you come back with another offer and a better offer, then I can budge uh, related to this. And so he should have just been righteously indignant. What are you guys doing trying to hire me to curse a people that are blessed by God? You're trying to get me on the wrong side of God? Here, take your filthy lucre and get out of here, you know, and, and close the, the door on it. And, uh, and instead, I'd like to, but God won't, won't let me. And so he tells the devil in essence, he tells Balaam in essence, or Balak, that he's still in the game if you want to approach me with a better offer. And Balak will approach him. On a, on a better offer. I remember when I was a new Christian, one of the verses, it's, it's fun being a new Christian. I don't want to go back there. Uh, but it, um, there are certain things that are really special about those early days. And one of the things that, uh, th the things that happens, it still happens today, so I'm not like lost or something, but um, those first times when God really causes a verse to come out 
to life to you and apply it to your situation. And the Lord uh, did that several times in those early months. And I remember one of the verses he really gave life to, draw my attention to, was in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. And it declares there, give no place to the devil. And that word, no place, in the Greek, it's, it's topos, and it means not a square inch. Not the smallest piece of ground. Don't give him not the smallest foothold or opportunity in your life. Thank God knew what he was working with, and he's working with me. <laughs> Give you verses like that. I hope yours were perkier, but this is what you know he gave me. I think in James chapter four, verse seven, therefore submit to God, James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And what, what Balaam doesn't do here is he doesn't submit to God. He is saying all the right things outwardly, but his heart is in a completely different place. You've heard the old uh, sermon illustration of the mother who took the child, this naughty little boy, and put him in the corner and made him you know, sit there because he had done something wrong. And the little boy said, um, you know, I may be sitting here on the outside, but I'm not sitting on the inside. Well, that's Balaam. Now, in my household, that meant you got another spanking. But anyway, that's another story on things. Because we wanted you sitting on the outside and sitting on the inside. That was the whole point of things. But enough about child rearing. I'm done with it. I just dote upon my grandchildren at this point in life. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. So, notice in verse 14, the uh, princes of Moab, they rose. They went back to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come to us. Balak reads this absolutely correctly for what it is. And he then sent princes more numerous and more honorable than the first group. So he's going to appeal to Balaam's pride. There's nothing more easy for the devil to manipulate than pride. And, and he recognizes pride. pride. This is a man you can manipulate with pride. So he sends more prominent people, and then they came to Balaam, said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people for me. See, he, Balak still thinks they can be cursed. Balaam's kept the door open on this thing. So the second thing that Balak does two things, and the same thing, two things that the devil does with us, he tries to appeal to our pride. Oh my, you're the most important person, and you're the only one that can do this, and we're all dependent on you. And yeah, really? Wow, okay, uh-huh. And then he essentially tells him, name your price. He appeals to uh, Balaam's uh, greed here. You just name your price, and, and uh, we'll go ahead and... And uh, uh, I'll, I'll match that. And Balak answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Well, if that was true, he'd have shoot him right out of the house at the moment. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord may say to me. And so Balaam says, listen, I can't do it for any amount of money you'd offer to me. Here's some hospitality. I'll seek the Lord and see what he has to say on this. As if this is still open to discussion related to his life. This guy won't even take a no from God on something. 
So he thinks this is all, this is all negotiable here with God. I mean, what is it about no that you don't understand? What is it about two no's that you, you don't understand? You already know what God's will is, and that is that you don't go to curse these, these people. And now it's wrong once we know what God's will is to go back and see what else he might say about it. If doing God's will was Balaam's only concern, then he would have been satisfied with the first answer. That's not his only concern. This is a man who's driven by greed. There's a lot of money uh, being offered to him, and he wants to see, is there some way I can latch onto that money? It'll take care of my retirement. It'll allow me to buy that chariot over here. It'll allow me to do this. It'll allow me to you know, be more prominent you know, in the, the, his, the hall of fame related to prophets. And, and so he wants some of that money that Balak's offering. Uh, and the greed. Peter tells us as much in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. They have forsaken, speaking of the false teachers in Peter's day, they have forsaken the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude wrote, and he said of the false teachers, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily, and the heir of Balaam for Profit. So he's just greedy. He wants money. He's seen uh, dollar signs. God's already told him, no, can't do it. There's no use in even in going. So he's saying all the right words with his mouth, but his heart is very, very uh, uh, far from what his uh, his heart is far from what his words are. If, there, if there's a distance between um, what it is that I am uh, portraying outwardly and the condition of my heart. The devil will notice that in a moment, and he will endeavor to take advantage of that. What I am outwardly is to be in alignment with a holiness that is inward. That's what keeps a person from being protected by these kind of offers that the devil will bring uh, into our, our lives. And so don't keep asking God for permission to do something that you already know is not his will for you. He says, no, that's no, that's it, and, and you know it's wrong, now leave it alone. So the Lord communicates to him there in verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, uh, If the men come... Uh, uh, God said, uh, came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. And so God declares to him, you can go, but with the warning that he was only to speak what the Lord spoke to him to speak. It's this verse, along with a couple of other verses, that cause me, causes me to believe in what is known as the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God related to our lives. And the perfect will of God was that he not go. That's what God communicated. He, God now allows him to move into what is his permissive will, which is always a much more dangerous place to live life. I think of Moses. When God called Moses and said, listen, I want you to go in and speak to Pharaoh. I can't speak. What's all this? Everything like that. And can, can you, you know, you've got to send someone who can speak. I can't do this thing. So God takes and he says, all right, take Aaron, your brother. He moved from perfect will to permissive will there in, in that, that situation. It doesn't mean a person can't succeed in God's permissive will, uh, but 
There, when God, God will put limitations on us that we have to be very, very careful to observe. And, and so God says, all right, I will say yes to this, but with this very, very strong warning, you are only to say what I put in your uh, mouth. Now, he's going to violate that restriction, and he's going to disobey the Lord in that, but that wasn't God's fault. God gives him, even at this point, he, God is not setting this man up for a fall, uh, God, he, uh, he still has an opportunity to be very successful in, in, in his, his ministry. And, and, and his fall that's going to occur in just a few moments is, is not God's fault at all, but it's Balaam's uh, fault. And uh, I think it's important to realize that. Though Balaam would face greater temptations in God's permissive will, as anyone would, he still had an opportunity to do right and to be greatly used by God. Say, so why would God allow him uh, to do this? And I don't know all of the answers, but as we head through the whole thing, we'll realize there are some things that the Lord uh, does here that are good. He's going to take the situation. If Balaam had stayed obedient to him, he was going to work this permissive will for good. Uh, number one, he was going to fill Balaam's mouth, uh, again, with some of the most beautiful prophecies concerning the children of Israel to be recorded in the entirety of the Old Testament. And God's people have been rich for thousands of years because of those prophecies. Secondly, God was going to teach the children of Israel a very, very hard but a valuable lesson about his views on idolatry and sexual immorality as, as we a little bit further down down the road and, and they fail a little bit because of, of some counsel that Balaam gives to Balak. And then I think the other thing that he does with Balaam and he allows it to occur is Balaam becomes this uh, gigantic neon sign in the Old Testament of a warning to all of God's people and, and to all of his servants, a warning against covetousness and against greed in our own hearts that it will pull us into situations that God not, does not intend us uh, to be in the middle of. And so he, this is what he receives now from the Lord. And he rose in the morning, couldn't wait to get going on things, saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab. So he's, he's just thrilled. He sees that he might hit the lottery here. And then God's anger was aroused because he went. God is angry, not because he's going, but he is angry because he knows the motivation that Balaam has in his heart for going. He wants to go and he wants to pronounce a curse upon these people in order to enrich himself. Can you imagine that? What kind of a heart is that? I'm going to go and I want to curse a whole bunch of people so I can get rich. Well, you think, how foreign is it today? How many people are making fortunes in this culture, poisoning children, poisoning the minds and the lives of men and women, don't care anything about the health of the nation or society or people or families or anything they're doing to them, as long as they can pocket their money and make their way. And so it's just a wicked, wicked heart that, that this man has, and, uh, he, and God has his ways of, of correcting that. So God was angry over his uh, motivations and his heart attitude and all of this, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now, I never want the angel of the Lord to become my adversary in life. Now, you notice that the angel of the Lord, the uh, word angel is 
capitalized, and then the word Lord is all in all capitals, so it's Yahweh or Jehovah. And when when we look at this, who this person is, who is this angel of the Lord? Because we're going to get very familiar with him in just a moment. Who is this? Is it an angel, or what? What is this this being? And and uh, this appears to be none other than Jesus Himself. A theophany or Christophany is what it's called, and that is it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is more than an angel, and the reason that we know that it's more than an angel, and we know that this angel of the Lord, which is a common word for the Lord, a theophany of of Jesus in the Old Testament, is that later on when we get to verse 35, he declares to Balaam, I only want you to speak what I put in your mouth. In other words, this angel is the source or the origin of these prophecies. And these prophecies are come from none other than God. So you have a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. So he takes his stand in the way as an adversary against Balaam. And Balaam was riding on his donkey, and he had two servants with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way on the path with his sword drawn in his hand. Now donkeys, I mean, the donkey sees stuff that nobody else is seeing at this moment in time. And the donkey, as a result, turned aside out of the way, went out into a field, whoop, right off the road, out into the uh, to the field, and uh, so Balaam uh, struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road, so just beats her for her carelessness, and then the angel of the Lord uh, shows up a little bit further down the path, and he stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she couldn't go out into the field, she couldn't take a left or a right, she pushed herself against one of the walls and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he beat the animal again. Then the angel of the Lord went further, and he stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, no ability to move in either direction, she lay down under Balaam. So she just assesses the impossibility of the situation, and, and, uh, and she lays uh, down onto uh, the, the ground. Balaam's response here, he became so angry, his anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. He just begins to beat this donkey for its uh, apparent rebellion against him and, uh, and for slowing him down. Nobody likes to have car trouble when you're heading to a job interview where you might make a fortune, right? So he's really upset about things. And then the Lord Open the mouth of the donkey. See, people sometimes they talk about, look at things and say, is this true? I mean, did God really open the mouth of, of a donkey in the Old Testament? Can he really use a donkey to speak? <laughs> he uses me every week. And people like me every week. He uses Eric over in the men's study and all over the place. So it's, it's humbling. It keeps things in perspective. God uses you to do a little something you know, you start to think you're really something. Be careful you don't bray. <laughs> God can expose us. So open the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, she starts talking, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? That's, a, that's the question she poses now to, to, uh, to, to Balaam. Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've abused me. 
I wish that there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Now, this is, this is an early uh, record of road rage, uh, right here in the Bible. Here's a guy that is so angry, he is yelling and arguing with a donkey, and he's not even shocked or deterred in any way. He's, he's so angry with the donkey, he's talking to it like it's a peer. So you see, well, anger can reduce you to the level of an animal, can it? You see, people do all kinds of crazy things on the road and elsewhere under the influence of, of anger. So he's very upset. You're just lucky I didn't have a sword to kill you with. Now, somebody has said that whenever um, the reaction of a person is disproportionate to the stimuli, you have underlying issues. So, for instance, if my wife, if she were to cook me a bacon and eggs dinner, I mean breakfast and toast and the whole thing, and I'm sitting at the table like a little potentate, and it gets, maybe your wife does that for you. I'm not, I don't ask for it. I like raisin bran and tea. So I can put that together myself. But if I'm sitting there and she delivers that meal to me and the toast is burnt, and if I pick up the plate and I throw it through the dining uh, room window, now that's a disproportionate response to, to burnt toast, isn't it? I mean, a, a proportionate response would be to say, Honey, you know, the toast is burnt and could I get a little bit more? So when the plate goes flying through the plate glass window, she realizes, Okay, this guy is upset about a lot of other things, apparently. That's what happens with this with him. He's not upset over what this donkey has done in terms of stopping here, stopping there. He wants to kill that donkey. He's upset because he's got car trouble on the way to getting money. This thing is, is getting in the way of, of his greed. This is what's consuming him on, on the whole, uh, whole thing. So the donkey then, the donkey's not done. The, it, the donkey will win this argument. Uh, <laughs> Some, some people must have the last word, and uh, sometimes they deserve it. And so the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And so the donkey here rightly contended that since uh, he had never ever done this, not, she had never ever done this, not one time in the whole time that Balaam owned her, that wouldn't it behoove Balaam to seek an explanation for her behavior rather than beating her and threatening her, uh, her life? And, uh, and then Balaam said to the donkey, uh, No, no, you have never now you've never, you're right, you've never done me wrong all these years. Now the only, only thing worse than arguing with a donkey is losing an argument with a donkey. And that's exactly what Balaam does here. And, and here, you got, here you have a, a prophet and, and a, a, a so-called servant of God. And, and he is when he, consumed by greed, consumed by uh, pride and all of these things. A donkey... Uh, can see the things of God more clearly than a servant of God in that, in that kind of, of condition. So he, he uh, confesses that, that he's right. Now let me say this also. In our service to the Lord, listen to every instrument God uses to speak into our lives. Even a donkey. When people 
make contact with me or they email me. And it's not an easy thing to do because I don't give everyone my email address because I don't have the time to handle emails. And I've got this guilt complex that feels like I've got to respond to every single thing that comes my, enough about my problems. So, but anyway, I, I, anybody, if they send me an email or they ask me an honest question or someone sends me a letter or, and someone rebukes or corrects or wants me to think twice about a given something, I always take that to prayer. Always. I never reject that kind of thing. I may be self-defensive and steamed at the moment on something like that, but I'll give it the time and say, Lord, are you wanting to speak through me? Because I want to hear through any vessel you want to speak to me uh, on. And, and Because the Lord can use a lot of different people. And I'm not calling you a donkey if you send something to me. I mean, not, at least not after a while, once the Holy Spirit gets control of me. And so the Lord... Uh, he says, I'm going to kill you, and he answers no. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way with a sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head, and he fell flat on his face. So now he sees what the angel's been seeing all along. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey three times? God loves animals, doesn't he? <laughs> so why have you beat your animal three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. And if she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. That donkey you beat three times and you thought was you know, messing with you and all, that donkey saved your life three times. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. And he, he knows his motivation is wrong before the Lord. I've sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but, on, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall speak. And so Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And he would have been perfectly okay if he would have obeyed the simple command of God here. But he's going to violate it. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon, the uh, boundary of the territory. So he can hardly hide his eagerness and his excitement. You know, <laughs> here he's finally come and we're going to be able to curse these, these people. And Balak... He can't even restrain himself from rebuking Balaam for hesitating and coming. Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I've come to you. He's in no mood to talk you know, at this point in time. I've come to you. Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. And so Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath Hazoth. And then Balak offered oxen and sheep. He sent some portion of the sacrifice to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So kind of a festival meal celebrating his arrival. And so it was on the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal for this purpose, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. And there was a belief in, in the ancient world that 
if you wanted to, in order to curse someone kind of at full strength, then you needed to see them face to face or you needed to visit, the, uh, uh, visit them physically. And so he wants him to see, Balaam wants, Balak wants the full effect of the curse to be upon these people. And then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And so this, this, is, this is complete paganism. There's none of this is found in, in the word of God. And then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering and I will go, and perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And so he goes to a desolate height, he separates himself uh, from the rest of them, and God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. So again, we see kind of a pagan background in Balaam. He's offered all these offerings in order to kind of buy something from God, to buy God's favor that he would uh, speak through him. And then the Lord put uh, a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And so Balaam returned to Balak, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. So they're standing there, they're excited, they can't wait to um, hear what kind of a curse is going to come out of Balaam's mouth uh, toward, uh, toward the people and, and then, uh, of Israel. And then he took up his oracle and he said, Now, in these next two chapters, 23 and 24, Balaam is going to pronounce four oracles over the children of Israel. And basically an oracle was kind of a, a God-given prophecy, a divine revelation. Uh, to to speak, God would give it to you to speak. Every single one of these oracles, four oracles that God gives him, they're going to be blessings. There's not, there's not going to be a single curse that's going to come out of his mouth toward the children of Israel. The interesting thing about all four oracles is that all four of them confirm some promise that God had given to Abraham or to the patriarchs concerning the children of Israel. And so he's just going to simply confirm the promises that I've given these people you have no hope of, of breaking. So God is very committed to his relationship with us. So he took up his oracle and he said, Balak the king of Moab has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob from me and come denounce Israel. So he states the reason why Balak has hired me. He has hired me to come and to curse these people. And then his response uh, to what Balaam, Balak has hired him for, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And so here is... Uh, Balaam, and he declares that what Balak has hired me to do here, it can't be done. And it can't be done because the Lord has not cursed them and he has not uh, denounced them. In other words, I've been hired to curse these people, but because of the greatness of the God of these people, they are beyond the curse of man. You cannot curse these people from, from without. And uh, so the safety of a child of, uh, of God. Now, Balak's listening to this and his 
worst fears are being realized in the very first prophecy that, that Balaam declares uh, here. Number one, you cannot defeat these people militarily. You can't even curse them uh, spiritually. And so here Balaam is confirming God's promise to the children of Israel through Abraham, and that is they cannot be effectively cursed by the nations around them. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, God said to Abraham and his seed. I will curse him who curses you, and then all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so it has been all the way through Israel's history. Those that curse Israel endeavor to do that. They find themselves on the wrong side of God pay a tremendous price for those who bless Israel. They enjoy uh, God's, God's blessing in, in some uh, measure. And so the translation from God to Balak is, uh, Balak, what you are up against is my word. Right from the get-go, you have no hope of being successful in what you have hired Balaam to do. And then Balaam goes on and he says, For from the top of the mountains I see him. And from the hills I behold him, there a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself uh, among the nations. And so he declares that they are uh, a nation of people, they're distinct from all of the other nations uh, of, of the world, they're unique and special because God has attached a plan to them that is not attached to any other nation or people in the world. Uh, God is going to bring the Messiah into the world through these people. He's going to bring the Old Testament scriptures into the world through these uh, people. And so here their strength is the, they're separated, and, the, and they are a strong people, and, and, and they are higher than all of the other nations. And then he says in verse 10, Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel. Again confirming, here is Balak, he wants to wipe out Israel. And he has no hope of doing that because God had prophesied and spoken in Genesis chapter 13 and declared to the patriarchs, I have made your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. And God is declaring, not only will you not wipe these people out, Balak, they are going to prosper numerically in a way that you can't even imagine. You think two to three million of them is a big deal? They're going to be a lot bigger than that. And then uh, Balaam's uh, commentary as he's looking out over these People, he said, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. He closes up his first prophecy by saying, wow. Let, let my life, the promises that these people have in life and in death and in the life to come, let those be my portion. As, as he just looks at them and says, wow, this is, uh, they are are so blessed. And so he's looking at them. Let my end be like his. Far from dying a military death at the hands of, of Moab, they're going to die peacefully. They're going to die at, at, at a, a nice, ripe old age, uh, not by military conquest. And then Balak, as he listens to this prophecy, he said to Balaam, What have you done? I, I took you to curse my enemies, and, and look, you have blessed them abundantly. So he's horrified at how everything's turned around. I brought you to curse them, and now all you're doing is blessing. So he's got a solution to that. He answered, and he said, 
Must I uh, not take heed to... Uh, uh, so he, he, he confronts Balaam. Balaam answers and says, Must I not take heed to speak uh, what the Lord has put in my mouth? And then Balak says to him, Please, come with me to another place which you may see them. You shall see only the outer po- uh, part of them, and you shall not see them all at once curse them for me from there. So he's saying, maybe you can't look at all two to three million of them and, and curse them. So maybe you've got to curse these people one section at a time, but you can curse them. So let's just look at them one part at a time, and, and we'll kind of do it uh, that way. And so he brought him to the field of uh, Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, built seven altars, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. So again sacrifices in order to try and gain the favor uh, of God for his revelation. And then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. And so his uh, second oracle that he declares now. And so he came to Balak and there he was standing by his burnt offerings and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? He's very hopeful that he's got things turned around. And then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up Balak and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. So God's speaking to Balak directly now. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do, or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. And so Balaam, Balak, These people have received promises from God. Their God does not lie. He cannot be bribed. You can't give him a better offer. You can't get him to change his mind about how much he cares about these people. He's not like man or men or kings like you that you can get him to change their minds. He, he has said what he has said about these people, and, and there is no way you're going to change his mind. And again, the idea to Balak is, Balak, you think you're just up against these people out here militarily. But what you've got to realize is you are, it's much worse than that for you. You are up against them, and you are up against their God, who will not change his mind concerning them and his plans for them as as a people. You can't reverse that. You can't change that at all. He has not, Balaam continues in verse 21, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, speaking of Israel, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. What? We've been going through these books and uh, every three pages they fumble the ball, the world's worst time. What in the... How could God say that about him? Speaks about the greatness of God's forgiveness for his people. His forgetfulness about our sins. I'm really glad for that. And also speaks here about how God sees his people. He, he, he looks at us in a couple of different ways. Um, when, when I sin... Uh, he sees that sin. 
And so I, I kind of have two positions before God. I, am, I have a, a physical position before him, and then I, I, he looks at me in terms of my physical position before him, and then uh, positionally what I am before him. So he sees my sin, and he sees practically what I am and I am not, but he also looks at me because of my faith in Jesus Christ and because I am now in Christ Jesus and he sees me positionally because he sees me also for who and what I am in Christ Jesus. And when he looks at me on the basis of my faith positionally, he doesn't see any sin in me. So God has a a pretty neat way that being in a covenant relationship with him allows him to look at us in a wonderful way. So great eyes of grace upon the children of Israel and upon us. And the Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. Now this is very significant at the end of verse 21 when Balaam informs Balak that the God of Israel goes with them. We look at it and say, what's the big deal about that? It was a big deal in the ancient world. Because they believed in territorial deities, they believed that gods were, uh, only had strength in a certain area, and if you kind of moved outside of their range, then they weren't powerful anymore. So that's why when the children of Israel would defeat an enemy, say in the Old Testament, and they would defeat them in the mountains. Then their enemy would come back and say, let's fight them on the plain because maybe our God isn't good in the mountains, but maybe he's good on the plains. So they believed in this territorial kind of a thing, kind of like uh, now you have satellite radio and all these different kind of things, so it's killing all illustrations. But um, you ever been traveling like from Northern California to Southern California, taking a long drive or something, and I remember, you know, before I knew the Lord and all, and you're listening to, sometimes you're listening to a song on the radio, and it's a great rocker going there and everything, and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden you just get a little bit outside of the city, and right before they hit that instrument that you really like right you know it gets all fuzzy and then you go out and it's it's gone and and so the station is powerful just in a little kind of of a region but here is a god who travels with his people he's strong with them no matter where they are this was a novel to them in those days so if you think you're trying to get them out of God's range or you can catch them in some place of a weakness I got bad news for you Bailey their God travels with them so they, they, that's what you're, uh, you're up against uh, here and, and so no chance of defeat there's no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel and it must now it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. No sorcery can be effective against them. Look, a people rises like a lioness. Now think about Balak listening to this. Talk about the children of Israel. Rises like a lioness, lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of, of the slain. Balak, their future is not one of defeat. They're going to defeat all of their enemies. And so the end of prophecy number two, Balak is furious. And he says to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. Shut up! If you can't say something bad about somebody, don't say anything at all. He's really upset. Then Balak said to Balaam, please come. 
and I will take you to another place. Let's get you, we're going to get some kind of a, their God's got to have some kind of a blind spot here that we can kind of curse them through this window of some kind. I'll take you to another place and perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. Maybe we can get an angle on them that even God will want to curse them. And so Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. And then Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And so it's, it's like with this prophecy, it's like Balaam resigns himself to the fact God's not going to curse these people. He's hoping up to now. He's using divination and offerings and all this kind of stuff. He, a light goes on for him right now, and he realizes there's not gonna, no curse is going to come out of my mouth, and I'm not going to make any money off of this gig. And, and so he, he, he gives up on the sorcery, and he raised his eyes, and he saw Israel camped according to their tribes as he looks out on them on the plain, and the Spirit of the Lord then came upon him. beautiful thing about this is the children of Israel are down there on the plain. They have no idea any of this is going on. Isn't they, they don't have, la, 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 la. What's for dinner tonight? You know, so just going on about their business. No idea. He looks out. Remember when he looks out on the camp, they're camped in the shape of a cross. And all this stuff is going on in an unseen realm, an attempt to curse them, and God will not allow it to be successful. Never worry about your horoscope. Never worry about what other people are, you know, chanting about you or whatever kind of a deal. You're going about your business, serving God. It will not, it will not prosper against us. And you think about, this is a picture of, you think about how much stuff is going on in the unknown realm around us, endeavoring to work against us that we're never even aware of the degree of God's protection upon us. Not only a protection, but to then work it together for good. It happens in our lives all the time. So here the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he took up his uh, oracle and he declared the utterance of Balaam, the son uh, of Beor, uh, the utterance of a man whose eyes are open, the utterance of a man who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. And it's like at this point the light goes on for Balaam and he gets it. He sees it. These people have a God this God has given them promises. This God's heart is bound up in these people. And this God already sees them uh, possessing the land, prospering in the land. It's like he gets it now, that, that, uh, what God is doing. So he says, I, I get it clearly. And then he declares concerning Israel, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. And he talks about 
their dwelling places. He describes them and says, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside. Now you're talking about kind of a desert arid area. So the description that he gives here, talking about riverside and talking about aloes and cedars, I mean, this would have been like, this is a description of prosperity and blessing in a desert context that would have had them smacking their lips. So they're like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour uh, uh, waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. These people are blessed. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. His strength, like he has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He, he bows down. He lies down as a lion that is always victorious and as a lion who shall rouse him. And so speaking of the fact that Balak, he's going to conquer all of his enemies. You have no chance of conquering these people. And then he declared, blessed is he who blesses you and curses he who curses you. Again, referencing God's promise uh, to uh, Abraham and also speaking to Balak. And that is, Balak, you want to curse these people, it's going to put you on the wrong side of God. And God is going to curse you. Balak, as he listens to this third prophecy and oracle, his anger was aroused. I mean, he's livid at this point. He struck his hands together. He can't even get his anger expressed in words. He's got to do something physical. You know? So he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And look, you've bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. Get out of here. And, uh, and there'll be no money for you. He said, I, would, uh, I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. I was going to give you all kinds of money for just doing a little thing I asked, and you had to be obedient to God, and He's cost you. He's cost you money for being, a faith, being obedient to Him. I'll tell you, the devil, it's like Balak does here, he will come, you, you're faithful to God, and faithful to His calling on your life, and sometimes it costs you promotion to do that. It costs you financially to do that. I don't think anybody serves the Lord for any length of time. That the devil doesn't show up somewhere along the way and say, you are so missing out on everything because you're being obedient, not only to his word, but to God's call upon your life. And it is a lie. There is no richer life than a person can, that a person can live, no more blessed life than right in the middle of, of God's will. So this lie that he gives here, throws it at him. It's a lie that's continually thrown by the devil at us. Never believe it. You're not missing anything out there by serving the Lord. Everything he wants us to have will experience that in his will. And so Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messenger whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. And now indeed, I am going to my people. I'll leave as you said. Come, I will advise you. I'll give you one more prophecy for free if you're up to it. 
I'll advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. So now he looks way down by the Spirit of God through the history of the nation of Israel. And and again, he's communicating to Balak, you're not wiping these people out. I'm looking way, they've got a history, brother, that you can look way down the road on. Nobody's wiping these people out. God's got a plan for these people. And so he said, let me throw this in, tell you what God says about these people concerning yours in the, in the latter days. And so he took up his oracle and he said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open, the man who gets what God is saying about these people. I see him, speaking of a future leader in Israel, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, in other words, when this ruler comes to Israel, he's going to shine like a star. A star shall come out of Jacob, speaking of the twelve tribes of Jacob, of, of Israel. A scepter, that's a staff that a ruler holds, so it's going to be a ruler. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, and here's what he sh- he'll do. He will batter the brow of Moab. Now put yourself in Balak's shoes. And he's standing there with all of his other rulers. You're not only going to not defeat them now, you're never going to defeat these people in the, in the long run on things. So uh, the, you know, the, the pronunciation that he, uh, that he makes here relates to very personal toward uh, Balak. Again, it's very hard to be the devil. Because God's grace and his favor and his faithfulness to his people is not just for today, but all the way through this life and the life to come. And, and not only will he batter the brow of Moab and destroy all of the sons of Tumult, uh, but also an Edom shall be hit, hit a possession. He will defeat them. Seir also, his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. This king will lead Israel in the defeat of the Amalekites. And then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher, uh, defeating them, and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. And so Balaam rose and departed and went to his place, and uh, Balak also went his way. And so he delivers this final prophecy about this king that will come in Israel's history and defeat all of her uh, enemies. And again, it is a confirmation of a prophecy that God had given uh, to Jacob in in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. He said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And the fulfillment of this final prophecy of uh, of Balaam, 
The near fulfillment was through King David. David did ultimately conquer these enemies and expand the nation of Israel into its kind of its greatest strength and its glory days, except for the glory days that are coming in the future. And that's why this prophecy is also in terms of its far fulfillment, speaking of uh, Jesus Christ and his return. Return to the earth at his second coming, establishing the kingdom age, and then ruling the earth from Jerusalem uh, itself. And so that's why in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, uh, it speaks of Jesus. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so he seems to take this prophecy and bring it all together and apply it to himself. And so one day Israel will have complete dominion when Jesus returns to the earth and he rules the world uh, from Israel. So he speaks to Balak and says, let me tell you, I'll tell you the end of these people all the way to the very end of human uh, history. Uh, they are not going to be wiped out. They're not going to be destroyed. Uh, the end that they have uh, the, the end that they're going to experience is the end that God has for them and not the end that any person or peoples or all the nations of the world uh, intend for her. So beautiful prophecies, and we'll stop there. And uh, I want to stop there not just because of time, but because it gets a little depressing after this.